last week, we talked about our big idea of do not murder, right? And so then we said to battle do not murder. Jesus really said, well, if you hate, you've murdered. And then we see how Paul said to really battle against that, you battle against it with love. And so I challenged you. I challenged you, let's go into our community. Let's make a ruckus. Let's just love our family and our neighbors and people we work with. And let's go out and let's be proactive in how we love people. And so I have story after story after story that you guys shared, whether on Facebook or on Instagram or whether you emailed to us. I want to encourage you, let's not make last week one and done. Can, can we do, like, let's just keep this going. I've got, I've got a pile of stories here. I'm going to share two of them, but only two, so I can share two more the next week. And I just want to, over the next few weeks, just keep sharing stories with you. Is that okay? So I'm going to share two of them this morning. The first one came from Shelly. Shelly said, Laurel and I attend massage therapy school together. We just started volunteering at the VA hospital in Ann Arbor once a week to do hand and arm massage on patients. We both silently pray for each of them. I'm not sure who's more blessed at the end of the day, us or them. I am so thankful to have another believer to do this with. And then Bob said this. Bob said, I was moved to get out there and make a ruckus. Love that. He says, sometimes, sometimes God moves in ways we never expect. Well, on Monday night, I learned that one of the parents at our scout troop was having issues at school with their son. And they're very private people, so I decided that I would go ahead and reach out to them. I sent a text offering support to Chad and mostly to pray for them. The last part was the risky part since they're not believers. They're agnostics. Uh, it's not that they don't believe in God at all. They just don't have a relationship with Christ. Well, to my surprise and relief, the response was extremely positive. I will continue to pray for a resolution to the situation and hope that God makes use of the situation to grow this family toward him, ruckus on. Isn't that awesome? So yeah, there's some more. This is good stuff, guys. We, um, we want to continue to share those stories. Let's continue to make those known on Facebook, on Instagram, email the church, because I want to continue to share those stories. Also, before I get going, we, um, last time I checked, we had three people signed up for the chili cook-off, which means we're guaranteed to win. Like, that's what that means. There's three baskets out if only three people sign up. Do what? You're spying the gift baskets out? Yeah. So here's what we're going to do. I warned you guys, I'm probably going to need uh, quite a few cans to belt feed all y'all, but Wolf brand chili. Nothing says chili like a, like a metal taste in your mouth. Like it's so yummy, guys. You're going to love this. And some people think I don't say this correctly because I say wolf and they're like, there's an L in it. And I'm like, well, it's made in Texas. So you got to say it like a southerner. So you got to trust me. It's wolf brand. That's how you say it. Like sound of dog makes the sound of this chili. It's the same thing. Wolf brand. Guys, sign up because you don't want any wolf brand chili for your chili cook-off. This is not what you want. Make sure you sign up. So um, back in the day, we lived in Tucson, Arizona. And I, I learned a lot living in Tucson. Like I learned that it gets hot. Like, really, the desert gets really, really hot. And I'm talking 110 to 115 degrees. And the kids still play outside. Like, it's still an outside day at school. Like, they just keep going. Now, when I moved to Tucson, I had never been to the desert before. So I didn't know what to expect. I thought it was kind of going to be like this without Lake Michigan. So this is Sleeping Bear Dune. Ignore Lake Michigan, which is kind of the highlight of the picture, isn't it? But ignore Lake Michigan. Focus on the sandy part. Like, I thought... 
that would be the desert, like Tatooine. You know, I thought it was just going to be like rolling things of sand everywhere. But instead, here's what I got. When I got there, it looked like this. This is the saguaro. And um, man, if you've ever been like Phoenix, you've seen maybe one of these. But go south two hours and you get to Tucson, which is the Sonoran Desert. And you get to the saguaro National Forest where you have miles and miles and miles of these. If you've never been there, you don't understand. These things are majestic. They are humongous. Like, it really is like one of those things that you can't help but look because so, you stand next to them and you're so small compared to the saguaro. They are humongous cactus. And then I got to know the people. The people of Tucson, um, well, they're, they're kind of like in, Mich in Michigan. What I love about Michiganders, like one, we're people who understand seasons. Like, there really are four seasons. But the weather does not stop Michiganders. Like, if it's hot and summer, people are going to go. They're going to do things. They figure out water sports. And if there's two feet of snow, Richard and Heather are still going to go on a run, right? They're going for it. A little bit of cold weather doesn't stop anyone in Michigan. Well, Tucson's kind of the same thing. So people go mountain biking. They love biking. They'll, I don't know how. I would never ride a bike through that. But people will. Like, they will ride their mountain bikes all over the place. They'll ride. They'll take their street bikes, and they'll go for miles and miles. Or they go hiking, and I thought, okay, I'm not, I don't have bicycles, but I love the idea of hiking. And so here's what I did. This is Picacho Peak. I looked at that mountain, and I'm like, Amy, I'm going to climb that mountain. And so what I, what I did is I went first by myself, and I didn't go all the way up. The other side of this looks a little more tame than this side does. And there's a place called the Saddle, which is about halfway up, maybe 30% of the way up. There's this place called the Saddle. And, and so you can kind of hike up. It's just kind of like a steep little hill. And I did that. And I thought, well, that wasn't bad. So I went back and I got my boys, Ian and Gabe. And Gabe was a little bitty fella at the time. And he actually made it up to the Saddle part. And so we have some funny pictures of looking off in the distance. On, but then I kept looking at that summit, that tippy top point. And I'm like, no, no, I want to do this. So I got my buddy named Lenny Mariano. And I'm like, Lenny, you and I are going to do this. So we had four liters of water a piece. Because see that the heat is so dry, your sweat, I'm not making it up, your sweat will evaporate before you get wet with sweat. So you can dehydrate and die pretty quick. Like it's not a joke. They will come with a helicopter and pull people off this thing all the time, like because people are goofy and they don't know they're supposed to hydrate. And so four liters of water, which we both drained our water. So we had four liters of water. We had gloves. You needed climbing gloves. And, and we went for it. So here's the trailhead. This is where we started thing. It says, attention hikers, you could die. Like that's basically what they're trying to say there. Like this is not the safest thing you've ever attempted. And so you start going and as you start going, your legs start to burn and your lungs start to burn because you get past that little saddle part. And once you, because you think like, okay, this isn't going to be that bad. We're just going to keep going. But about the time you think I'm supposed to do this, the trail takes off down 200 more feet and it looks like this. So you got to go down. Now, I want you to look close at the picture. There's a wire there that you're supposed to hang on to. That was put there in 1932. I think they've replaced it a few times since then. But that's when it was originally put in place, 1932. And you can see where that person's standing. If they take one wrong step, literally it drops thousands of feet. Like there's no forgiveness. There's no do-over. Like it's going to hurt bad. Like you or you're just flat, one of the two. But like you don't want to fall off. And the thing is, is then you go down 200 feet and then it starts back. Check that. Check out this next one. This is me. 
That's me, and I'm hurting right now. Like I'm climbing, I'm hurting. Uh, I don't think I cut my leg yet, you know, but, you know, I was bloody by the time this thing is over. It gets pretty steep. And I just want to show you the other angle. Here's what it looks like from the other way. There it is. That's what you're going up. And so you're, you're going up this thing, realizing that right on the other side of this, it drops straight off. And the whole time, there's all these false summits, right? So there's this place where you're climbing, and you're digging, and you're clawing, and I think it's 12,000, something like that. Anyway, you're climbing a lot, and as you're going, as you're going, you keep thinking, like, this has got to be the top. Like, this is it. Once I get up there, I'm to the top, because I'm looking around, and I'm higher than that peak. I'm high. This has got to be it. But it's not. It's always this false summit until finally you keep going up and down, up and down until you get to this. This summit where you look and see if you have cell phone reception. That's what you need to do when you get up there, which I did not have cell phone reception. And uh, then Lenny took my phone away so he could get a selfie of himself. There he is up in the air. You know, some of you, you see Picacho Peak and you're like, Pastor, I would do that. Like, I, I would be in with you. I would do that climb. That looks like so much fun. And others, you're like, Amy. You're like, nope, I'm not doing that. Like, that seems like the dumbest. Why would I climb up that? I don't want to climb up that. I'm not doing it. And yet, today's topic. Church, today's topic is one that I think is a lot like this climb. The only difference is we are all on this journey. Every single one of us. And it, it's going to burn and it's going to hurt. And, and you're probably going to end up scarred before you get to the top. And the thing is, we did get to the top. And then we realized, like, there's no escalator. We got to turn around and go back down. Like, the same trip back down. If you sprint, like, there's some, like, crazy workout people out there. And they're all, like, I don't know, they work out. And so they're, like, they do sprints where they go up as fast as they can and down. That takes about two and a half hours. We didn't sprint. So it took us a lot longer to get all the way up and all the way down. Again, I am Billy. I'm your campus pastor here at Woodside Romeo. And we are in this sermon series called Blueprints, where we're doing a deep dive on the Ten Commandments. Take your Bibles. Open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So today's topic uh, is an uncomfortable PG-13 kind of a talk topic. But I think we must address it honestly I think we have to address it tactfully from the Word of God, because here's the thing. We're being bombarded with a culture that is sexually obsessed at all times. Like if you turn on Netflix or Hulu, or if you go to the movies, or if you stand in the line at the grocery store, you're bombarded by this. And we all know that the reality is that God's view on purity in the marriage relationship is not a popular view today. So today our big idea is the seventh commandment. The big idea today is do not commit adultery. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, Paul is guiding the early church on how to please God. And I think that should cause all of us to pause. It should cause our ears to perk because we want to please God, don't we? Like we want to live lives so at the end of the day we stand face to face with God and he looks at us and he says, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what we all want. And so that's what he's going to be talking about in 1 Thessalonians 4. And he's really going to show us two action steps. The first action step is we need to excel in our calling to please God. Look down at verse number 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 says, Finally, this is Paul writing, Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. 
for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So we see that Paul is letting this church know, I've already talked to you about this topic. This is a message you already know about, and I think it's important for you to hear that. Church, what I'm going to share with you is stuff you've heard before. Like, you're not going to walk out of here and say, man, now I really know how to deal with this topic because I've never heard any of that before. But this is one of those topics that even though we know, even though we've heard, Paul says, I'm going to teach you again. I'm going to tell you again because we need constant reminders. Same is true for us today. We need constant reminders because it takes one step off Picacho Peak to fall right off. It takes one before you're, you're bruised and battered and bloodied. And so we want to come back with teaching on this topic. He challenges them in this spot to walk with God. Now, when he's talking to them about walking with God and pleasing God, he's using a present tense verb. He's not using past tense. He doesn't say yesterday when you were living to please God. He's not talking about future, tomorrow. He's talking about right now. Right now, we need to live in a way to please God. I want to show you his prayer real quick. Look back at chapter 3. Turn in your Bibles, chapter 3, just one page over probably. Verse 11 through 13, look what he says. He says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So you have to make a choice. Who are you going to live for? I mean, you know, you can live for yourself, right? Whatever you want, whatever you desire. It's called hedonism. Like, I just want to do whatever makes me happy. That's how I'm going to dictate my patterns in life. Or you can live in a way to make everybody else happy. Like, whatever the crowd is saying I should do, then that's what I'll do. Or you can live in a way to please God. Now, Paul takes the same posture as Moses. Remember what Moses said? Moses went on top of the mountain. He got the Ten Commandments, and he basically said, hey, God saved you. God rescued you from the tyrant in Egypt. You were slaves, and now you're free. God rescued you. Based on that fact, this then is how you should live. Same thing Paul does. Paul comes over, and Paul says, Jesus redeemed you. He purchased you. Your life is not your own. He purchased you. He rescued you. He saved you. But it was more than some evil ruler in Egypt that he saved you from. Based on that, Paul would say, this then is how you should live. And so for the remainder, basically what he does is he talks about how are we going to do that? How are we going to live lives to please God? But before I get into that, a lot of times what you're doing in your business world makes sense to you, right? And you do some of those things. Or even in your personal life, there's things you do. And and for whatever reason, we separate it from our faith journey. I just want to encourage you not to do that because there's some good practices. Like probably when you're going through budget season, probably when you're recasting vision, you will whiteboard with your team, right? And you'll write down the word stop, start, and continue. What do we need to stop? What do we need to start What do we need to continue? Guys, this is so applicable for us today, isn't it? What do you need to stop? Well, some of you, you need to stop the sinful fantasies. You need to stop the pornography. You need to stop the sexting. You need to stop the affairs. For some of you, the affairs are physical. For some, the affairs are are emotional, right? They're emotional affairs where all of a sudden you're starting to share your heart with someone. You keep telling yourself, but it's okay. I haven't crossed any lines yet. That you need to stop. That's dangerous. That's that slippery slope. One step and you're off that cliff. 
there are things you need to put a stop to. And we could keep talking, but let's go on to start. There are things you need to start. When I'm talking about things you need to start, I'm talking about things like scripture memory. Lord, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I won't sin against you. Some of you, you need to start reading the Bible more, just allowing the word of God to permeate every fiber of who you are. For some of you, you need to start accountability. Like you understand that you need accountability in your workout life, right? You need accountability, people watching your reps to make sure that you're doing them right, to make sure that you're not cheating yourself or hurting yourself. You have people that will keep you accountable in your diet. You have people that will keep you accountable at work. We'll call them job coaches, right? So you have people who will keep you accountable there or just boss, one of the two, right? But you got people to keep you accountable. You need people in your faith journey to keep you accountable as well. So my question for you is, who do you have who do you have in your life, a brother or sister in Christ, that ask you the hard questions? Who do you have that loves you enough that's going to ask you? And then that's going to encourage you on to Christ-likeness. Who's that person? Another thing you need to start, some of you need to start yielding to the Holy Spirit. It's, it's like you read the Bible and you have that accountability partner. Some of you, there are things that start to roll around inside of you and you're like, I know what I'm supposed to do. And what you almost take your hands and just push that down and you just say, Holy Spirit, I'm not going to listen to you right now. I don't want to hear it. Some of you need to start yielding to the Holy Spirit. You already know the things you're supposed to do in your life. You're just not doing it. And then finally, there's things you need to continue. Most of you in this room, you're in a group. 80% of our church is involved in a group. Most of you are in a group. Keep doing that. Keep meeting together. Most of you are serving. Keep serving. Most of you, I'm kind of talking to the choir here just a little bit. Most of you come in and you would say, I come in because I'm excited about Sunday morning. I'm excited about aligning my life with the Lord's. And so you come in and you say, Lord, here I am. My heart's open, my ears are open, my mind's open, my mouth is closed. There's no back talk, God. I, I really want to be a better reflection of Jesus today. And I just want to tell you, keep going. Keep doing that. Continue that journey in your life. Because then that takes you to verse 10 of what Paul says, where he says, keep doing this more and more. Continue to do so more and more. As Paul's talking to the church, he says, I know that this is something I've told you before. I know that right now you're on the right track. You're doing what you're supposed to. It's not a letter that says, I'm telling you that you're in the wrong here. He says, you're on the right track. Just keep doing so. Keep doing this more and more. There's, there's basically no tolerance in our lives to live lives in any other way but to hunger and to thirst for a right standing with God. To hunger and thirst for this, this righteous place. And then remember, this Christian life isn't about a Lone Ranger Christian. You don't see that in the Bible. This is about us doing it together as a family. I didn't climb Picacho by myself. That would have been foolish, right? To climb a little hill and stand up there on a hillside, that'd be fine. But to go to that summit by myself would have been absolute foolishness. The same is true for your faith journey. Don't, don't do this alone. We're meant to do this Together, So not only do we excel in our calling to live lives that please God, but we also want to align our lives with the will of God and not the ways of the world. Look down at verse 3. Verse 3, Paul writes, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. I would underline that in my Bible right there. Underline your sanctification. 
that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God. Whoever gives his Holy Spirit, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So let me explain real fast the background of the text. This is the first century. This is a Greco-Roman world in the first century where men oftentimes would get married at the age of 20 or 30. Women would normally be in their teens. And so sexual immorality wasn't something that uh, the, the, you had to discourage or the, because it was just part of the culture. It was so ingrained as part of the culture. It wasn't even viewed as a surprise. Like, well, of course, that's what men are doing. Their wives are teenagers. Here they are, 30-year-old men. Of course, they're going out and doing things. Innkeepers would keep slave girls in the back for prostitution. It was a part of the economy, church. It was part of what just drove their culture and the economy. You see it over and over when you look at what's going on with, with archaeology during the time. It had so permeated everything. And I would just, I would argue that it's no different today. If I told you that this person got caught up in this sexual, uh, sexually immoral thing or that thing, you would probably say, oh, that's really sad. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Isn't that true? It's just so much of, of who our culture is today. Real fast, I do want to also mention something else. Paul here is talking to the church. And that's important. He's not talking to culture. And I'm not sure where the church started to think that our job was to change culture. But that's happened. Like that, that's kind of a thing where, where it's almost like the church expects actors or actresses to behave like Christ when they're not Christians. Right? Or this singer, this, this pop singer or that pop singer or country singer or whatever. Like I expect that person to live a life that's holy and pleasing to God. They're not a follower of Jesus, but I almost expect their behavior to model Christ, which is, right, that's, that's oftentimes what we do. But that's never what you see in Paul. Paul will say, here's the example we see in the world, but Paul would say, I'm talking to the church. I'm talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not talking about their behavior. I'm talking about our behavior, and we need to straighten up our behavior. Because we've lost what it means to follow Christ. That's what Paul would do. Paul would preach to the church. Paul would say, here's what's going on in culture, and yet here's how we are supposed to live. So based on that, here's what he tells us. He would say, first of all, in verses 3 and 7, you need to abstain from sexual immorality. That's what Paul teaches us. The word he uses that we just talked about is sanctification. The Greek word for sanctification is hagiosimos. Hagiosimos means this. It means that you, at one time, you were wrapped up, you were consumed with sin, right? 
And when you're, when you're little and you grow up and, and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, like you are in sin and sin is in you and it is just this big ball of mess. But when you become a follower of Jesus, this sanctification process begins. Hagiosomos. It means I'm removing my identity. It's not like, bam, it's dumb, but you are removing your identity from sin. You are removing that place where you are tied up in sin and you are moving to this place of holy as he is holy. And from the time you become a follower of Jesus until the time you see him face to face in heaven, you are on this process. You do not arrive and hit that summit until that point of seeing Jesus face to face. Now, church, this is interesting because it's not, it's not something where you can, like a self-driving car that you can just take your hands off. And yet there is help there, right? We know that. We know that Scripture says in Philippians 2, 13 and 14 that the Holy Spirit is indwelling us, and He is working on our behalf in this point, right? So He is working alongside this. This is not something you do on your own. You are not supposed to just straighten up and fly, right? You're not supposed to fix your behavior on your own. This is different than that. This is this process of, of changing your identity to this place of holiness. That's what it is. Right? And so as you're moving along that journey, you're not on your own, but there is effort on your part. One of the most heartbreaking things I, the most heartbreaking things I see is when I see Christians do this, yeah, I'm going to keep doing this sexually immoral thing because in the, odd, in the end, God will just forgive me anyway. So I'll just do whatever I want, no matter what kind of emotional wreckage is left. And yet Jesus says in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. So Jesus says, no, there is effort on your part too. Yes, the Holy Spirit is working on your behalf, but you also have some skin in the game. So if that's you, if you're that person that you're like, okay, there are temptations in my life and looking at people lustfully is one of my temptations. Let me just tell you, you need to repent of that. That repent, it means to turn. Here's what I'm doing. I'm going to stop, turn from that, and go towards Christ. That's what it means. Now, when you repent and you confess that, confess that to God. You don't need to go to that man or that woman and tell them, I've been lusting after you. Don't, that would be weird. Don't do that. But, um, <laughs> and the fact that I have to say that should tell you something, right? Um, but, but seriously, don't, don't do that. You just need to go to your heavenly father and have that place where you confess. And then you need to take drastic action. This takes drastic action and not fall into temptation again. And you do that, scripture says in verse four and five, by controlling your body, by controlling your body. Our temptations might be different, but our responsibility is the same. Does that make sense? Our temptation, some will be tempted a lot in this area, some will not be tempted very much, and yet our responsibility is the same. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. Now, guys, I know I'm a pastor, I, I know that, but just in case you didn't know, I don't live at the church. Like, I live in, a, in just a normal house, and I drive a normal car, and I, I have a normal family. And so I say that to say that I know the stuff that you guys hear. And some of you are that close to falling off the mountain right now. Because you have people in your ear, and they're chirping, and they're saying things like, you deserve this. You work so hard. Look how good you look. You deserve it. It's just, it's just be fun. It'd be nothing to it. It doesn't mean anything. Everybody does this. It's okay. 
And then they're going to say the Bible is antiquated. God's ways are old. Let me just clear something up. God loves you, and God wants the best from you, and his ways are never, ever changing. His ways are never changing. You see, God's ways are here, and our ways are here, and so oftentimes what we think we can do is we think we should just pray God over, but God is never changing, church. His love for you, the good news about that is his love for you is never changing. His ways of showing love to you, they never change, and so our job is to align our ways with the ways of God. That's the job we're supposed to do, and we do that by controlling our our bodies. The third thing that we want to do to align ourselves with God is we don't want to wrong others. Look down at verse number six. It says that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. And we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. You see, seeking your own pleasure at the expense of others is a sin. Let me say that again. Seeking your own pleasure at the expense of others is a sin. And I don't know why, but I think in America, we are the absolute worst at trying to flirt with temptation. I think we're awful at it. We're, we're so bad. We know where temptation is, and we always want to see how close can we get to the line without crossing it. That's why if the speed limit is 55, answer in your heart, how fast do you drive? You're not driving 50. You're driving 56 or whatever, Right? But you're wanting to see, like, how fast can I go before the cops get grumpy with me? How far? Or when you start dating. You start dating someone, you're like, we've got our lines, right? You have the DTR, define the relationship talk. And you say, okay, what we're going to do, because I don't want to cross any lines. I don't want to sin. Therefore, we're only going to hold hands. That's all we're going to do. And your one-week anniversary comes and you're making out, right? That's what we do. We want to see how close we can get to the line without crossing it. And then we just dance all over the line. And yet we're supposed to run from temptation. We're supposed to flee from it. What I, I love is there's always a way out. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. I, I don't care what your temptation is. There are other people who struggle with that exact same temptation. And we're not tempted the same, are we? You see, some of you, and I know this is going to be a weird comparison, but some of you, you can eat an Oreo or two Oreos, and you can put the package back in the pantry. No big deal. I ate two Oreos. I'm good. Others, you're going to crush the package. Like, you're going to gobble them all up. And then you look down at the package, there's only crumbs left, and you're like, that was crazy. Why did I do that? I ate them all. I ate every single Oreo in the whole house. Why did I do that? And you know it's crazy. You know you ought not do that, and yet you ate them all. And so some people can eat one or two. I don't understand how you only eat one or two. Mine's not Oreos, though. Mine's ice cream. Like, I would, I would pile it up in my bowl, like, to where it's heaping. And, guys, honestly, so our temptation, our temptation is going to be different for all of us. I had to cut sugar out of my diet. Like, for real. Like, cut it all out. Sugar out. No more sugar. I had to cut because I can't handle it. Like, I was like a monster in the house. I would just gobble it all. Our temptations are not the same. Our temptations are not the same, but listen to what it says. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. This is such good news. God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. You do not have to fall into this sin.
You do not have to be a victim of this sin. When it comes to sexual immorality, God has given us his holy word. You truly can go to his word every single day to battle against this temptation. You're not alone. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside of you. You are not alone in this. And then when you look around, you have people to your left and your right. You are not alone in this journey. This is part of sanctification, hagiosimos, going from that place where my identity is tied up in sin and removing myself from that place and moving to that place by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to that place of holy. That's the calling we have. That place where at the end of the day, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Can you show the picture of Picacho Peak again? I am. Um, just want to remind you, looking at this picture, the journey is not one you can take lightly. You can't look at sexual immorality and say, oh, no, I've got this one beat. No, I'm good. I don't have anything to worry about. You got to be vigilant at all time. You can't ever think that you're above a fall. And chances are to get to, to, get to the summit, you will be a little bit bloody. You'll be scraped up, scratched up. But this is so important. This has to be a place where when people come in here, this is a sanctuary. The word sanctuary, it's safe. It's a refuge. It's a safe place. This is not a place of criticism. It's not a place of finger pointing. It's not a place of critical hearts. There's really no margin for that here. There's not space for that. It's a place where we look at each other in the eye and say, keep going. You can do this. Don't give up. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus as we live lives to please him. Father, we do thank you for today. I thank you for the truth of your holy word, and I thank you for the words of encouragement that Paul gives us that reminds us to not only celebrate when we're doing well, but to keep doing it more and more. Lord, I do pray for the men or the women in this room where this is a struggle this is an area maybe they've struggled with for years and years. God, let this be that sanctuary where repentance can take place, true repentance. Not a changing of behavior, but that place of hagiosimos where we continue to move into Christ-likeness. God, I pray for all of us that we don't get complacent in the journey because that's where missteps happen. I pray that this is a healing place, a place where we can help others find restoration and really figure out what it means to be part of a family. Lord, everything we do, we want to bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Man, Church, I want to encourage you to stand now. We're going to sing. And as we sing so oftentimes, it's that continued place of invitation for you to deal with, with the Lord as the Holy Spirit works in your life. It's that place where we continue to declare that we believe that Jesus is Lord. And based on that truth, it changes everything. Based on the reality that Jesus has redeemed us, he has purchased us, he has rescued us, this then is how we should live.